0: Before I kick off the show, I wanted to share some exciting news about my new website at joshstamper.com, which is officially launched. The site has the Aspire podcast, blog posts, and a whole host of resources for educational leaders. Make sure you sign up for the Aspire newsletter to stay up to date on the latest giveaways, announcements, ideas, and exclusive content by going to joshstamper.com and signing up. I hope you enjoy this week's interview with a fantastic educational leader. Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the leadership development podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. I am so excited to have Connie Hamilton on the podcast. Connie is a K through 12 curriculum director, education consultant, presenter, co-author of Hacking Homework, and author of Hacking Questions. Connie, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much. I appreciate you having me. And as you know, the show is centered on leadership development, and I would love to hear your personal leadership journey on how you went from the classroom to a director of curriculum.
1: Well, the last classroom I had was in the middle school, and I was getting my degree at the time and was pursuing my master's degree in counseling. And I think I took two counseling classes, and realized that the best counselors were actually really good listeners and not necessarily really good talkers and and (laughs) figure-outers. And I quickly realized that was not the career for me. And so I had some conversation with people in that department, and, and they said, you know, maybe ed leadership is a better route for you. And so I switched my major and really found that that was a better match me to be more collaborative and and less of you know just sort of exploring but not being able to to have conversations as I shifted that major I took on some leadership roles in the classroom and I was involved in the school improvement team and then I would get on some curriculum teams and I was able to narrow down my passion and I knew, even as a classroom teacher, that I had a passion for curriculum. And I felt that in order to be a good curriculum director, I needed to have some leadership experience at a variety of grade levels. And so since I was coming from a middle school classroom, I took my first principalship in the middle school. I was a principal in the middle school for, I would say, about three or four years, Mm -hmm. and then I really wanted to continue to do some work at the curriculum level. Mm -hmm. And I was aspiring to really hone in the areas of the principalship that I loved the most. And in order to do that, I felt like I needed experience beyond just what is it like to be a middle school principal? And so I began looking for elementary positions that would give me the perspective of both a secondary view of leadership and an elementary view of leadership. And I found a, an opportunity in the district, of, actually where I am now, as a an elementary principal slash curriculum director. And that, it's a very, very small, awesome community. And ironically, when they interviewed me, one of the questions that they asked was, you know, where, where do you see yourself in five years? And I remember thinking, I know what the right answer is to this question in this interview, but my heart was, you know, honestly, I see myself as an assistant superintendent of curriculum in a, in a bigger district mm-hmm. and letting go of this hat. And I've been in that school district. Now I think this is my 16th year. Oh, wow. I never left. And I was pretty honest with them. I didn't expect to stay forever, but the time that I was going to be there, I, I was going to give them 110%. And I found that giving 110% allows the teachers that you with whom you work, they give 110% too. And when people give their blood, sweat, and tears for you, you don't want to leave them. So I haven't left. Mm-hmm. And I've been in Saranac Community Schools since then <laughs> and and i i now am the curriculum director but i'm part time so i did eventually let go of the the principal hat but i i just i let go of some days as well so that i could continue to focus on the areas where i felt my strength was and where i could contribute the most to the school district and still have the roots And the history and the relationships and I am just absolutely blessed because I have my cake and I can eat it, too
0: (laughs) So I love having guests on the show with a different leadership title because I think it provides our aspiring leaders with a different perspective Do you mind just describing your current role and what the role of director of curriculum really is for those who don't know?
1: you know as I do a little consulting work, I I I realize that that's an important question because curriculum director does not mean the same everything everywhere. A lot of the hats that I have are whole departments in bigger school districts. And for me, it's, it's a hat that I try to do in 50 days. So I'm the coordinator of state and federal programs. I oversee every content area and every grade level in, in regard to the curriculum. I assist with School improvement. I'm the homeless liaison. In a small district, everybody has to kind of pick up the slack and support one another. And at this time, I'm I'm trying to phase myself out, but in a way that is empowering people and supporting them to partner with me in different kinds of roles while I'm still there. So as I ease out of the school district, it's and it's no secret that you know I eventually. I will become full-time a, a consultant and continue to write more books. And that's my next venture. But I just can't let go of the school district that I love. I'm talking to the superintendent about a month ago, and we both know that I would actually make more money if I retired than what I make in the 50 days that I work there. But it's really, it's not about that. It's, it's about making sure that everything that I've put into place isn't going to disappear when i do mm-hmm. and in order to make sure that everything is able to continue and to be sustained by anyone that comes into place because we have systems that allow that to continue we're not quite there and in, in a few different places so when that happens i guess everybody will know that it's it's time for me to fade away into the sunset and <laughs> visit unhappy hour once in a while, I guess.
0: (laughs) So as you are delegating tasks in your organization, how are you growing future leaders?
1: Well, a lot of collaboration. And I think that's one of the mistakes that we all made as a tiny administrative team. Initially is we thought that we were doing one another a favor by isolating ourselves and saying, I'll take care of this. You don't need to worry about it because they don't, we didn't want to bother one another. And when I see tiny administrative team, I mean literally our whole administrative team from the superintendent on down is four people. Oh, wow. And And I'm only a part-time person. I don't even attend the admin meetings anymore. So the admin meetings are three people, the superintendent and two principals and that's it. Hmm. We don't have separate folks that have only the role of a director. What we learned from that experience is it's better to have multiple people who are aware of what's going on and have a vision for the school district and have an opportunity to have their hands in a variety of pots, not because we want to thin what is there, but because we want to grow what is there. That's the piece that is taking a little bit of time is is finding multiple people that, hey, we have now a team or a cadre or or a group of people that know about different components so that we don't put all of our eggs in the Connie basket or we don't put all of our eggs in a single basket. And th- and that's a mistake that we've learned the hard way. And thankfully, the superintendent in this tiny little district that we have now is is my former assistant principal who then was my co-principal and is now my boss and so through that journey that we've had we can have those candid conversations because it's a sense of a family
0: so you've talked about yourself you know staying for 16 years and now you talked about an assistant principal that has stayed to become the superintendent Mm -hmm. what is it about the district that is keeping these leaders and retaining them for such a long period of time
1: well, my superintendent was a student in the school district, and it's a small community. So we have a, less than a thousand students. And so everyone knows one another, and many of the teachers were are from the area. And so we don't have a lot of the struggles that many bigger school districts have. I was just in... Colleen, Texas and you know they have three or four hundred teachers that they're hiring every single year because they have such a great turnover. It happens to be located in a community here where there's a military base. And so they know that they they hire wonderful teachers and, and military wives often but but know that just by design it, it's going to be a short-term commitment. So that's just something we we don't struggle with. We have other struggles, like mm-hmm. my middle school math department is one person. Right. And so collaboration and spreading, sharing co- some of the duties and, and tapping into building leadership. It, you, you find some of those same people that aspire to be leaders and you find that you you may be over draining some of those same people because there are a few people to, to choose from. My ent- entire second grade department's three people. So it, it's, that part of it is challenging.
0: And in your vast experience, what was one of the most challenging or impactful experiences that you had that created the most growth as a leader?
1: Hmm, that's a good question. I think some of the most challenging things that allowed me to grow are when I made some serious mistakes and couldn't recover in a short term because the impact of the mistakes was widespread, and it didn't just necessarily impact me, but it impacts the people with whom I worked. And so even though I might be able to reflect on, boy, I don't wanna do that again, (laughs) that was a big oops, the trickle-down effect, of the the mistakes that i made were were widespread so for example one of the mistakes that i made early in my career was we were looking at doing some downsizing and and researching different certifications that teachers had within a district and had some realizations that there were a couple of teachers who were certified to teach in areas that they probably never intended to exercise that part of their certification. And I remember that there was one teacher in particular, and honestly, I don't even remember what she was certified to teach, but she was an amazing math teacher. And she had some certification that administratively, we were having a conversation about, boy, this person might be teaching something else in order to keep her job. And I remember thinking, Oh my goodness, I don't want her to hear this in a board meeting. She's a clever person. She's going to figure out that she has this area of certification and next year it might not be math. And my worst fear was that she was going to be left wondering and I didn't want that to happen. So with the best of intentions, I went to her and said, listen, we're going to be having some conversations about downsizing and you have this certification and alternate area that at this point, I don't even remember what it was. I mentioned this to her before she had to teach a class and in between the class periods and left her in a panic and in tears unintentionally because I had my motivation, my heart was in the right place. My timing was pathetic and it turned into a, a lot of panic that didn't need to be had and involving leadership within the union and, and all kinds of just chaos among the teaching staff. And, and now widespread fear of, is this going to impact me? And am I next? And when's Connie going to come and have my talk? And I learned very quickly that timing of difficult conversations doesn't have to be immediate. It's better to be mindful about how do you deliver information and making sure that what-ifs are really closer to possibilities and more so probabilities than possibilities before we go worrying people about the what-ifs that we have conversations about administratively. Early in my career, I guess I just didn't realize that teachers are not always privy to the what-ifs and is probably a blessing in many cases because a lot of those what-ifs never transpire because caring administrators prevent those chaotic things from happening and we're able to avoid a lot of unnecessary grief if we can just put all of our skills and brainstorming together and offer an opportunity to say, okay, that is a possibility, but it's a really bad option. What can we do to avoid it and not have to worry folks at all?
0: In your experience, which leadership skills were the most difficult to develop? Patience.
1: And it kind of piggybacks on the story that I I just mentioned of knowing what time is the best time to be able to share certain kinds of information or being able to see a problem and knowing that you can't necessarily address everything. In my small school district, as I mentioned, you know we, we have very few people. And so one of the things that we noticed was we didn't have a strong curriculum component in a variety of content areas. And knowing that we needed to focus on math and reading and science and social studies and really get our act together, being patient and saying, all right, we're not going to try to spray and pray. We're going to systematically attack one thing at a time, knowing that, yes, we are choosing to put some things on the back burner, but we have a long-term plan. And so communicating the fact that there is a long-term plan and we know that some things just are going to wait, but it's so that we don't overburden teachers and that we are very mindful and strategic in the way that we are implementing. And that's hard, knowing that there are people out there who can see also the gaps that exist and recognize the needs that are there and to say, just put the brakes on. I know that we are ignoring reading right now but our focus is math. And so we're going to try to take what we learn through an effective implementation of math and apply it to reading as we can. But the opportunity to purchase a new reading curriculum materials just doesn't exist financially. And it's unrealistic to expect teachers to implement two curriculums simultaneously. And we're not gonna do that to our teachers. And that's hard knowing that patience and that strategic implementation is really going to be the best for overall, patience is hard. Mm
0: -hmm. And so with your experience in your own district and as you travel around the country and see other districts, what is one of the largest barriers to the success of leadership?
1: I think every leader kind of has their their own barriers, and you know, I, I've shared a lot of the struggles of small school districts, and at the same time, I can see some of the challenges of large school districts as well. So they have communication issues, mm-hmm. where in a big school district, it's hard to get everybody on the same page. You know, for me, all I have to do is walk down one hallway, and I have all of my third grade teachers on the same page. And so that's a, a blessing and a curse at the same time. Whereas a district that might have hundreds of third grade teachers, how do you make sure that things are consistent and cohesive and that you're doing the best for students and leveraging the, the wisdom and, the, and the, the strengths that exist within your school district? In a small district, it's easy to leverage rock stars because you just kind of highlight them in a staff meeting and everyone is present. We have two staff meetings in our district monthly, one at the elementary level and one at the secondary level. And that's our entire staff. So challenges in looking at how we can build leadership is, you know, sometimes you have this sense of family, family, And like a family, there's people that you get along with really well, and there's people that maybe you just butt heads with. But you have to figure out ways that you can bring out the best in everyone and figure out a way to have conversations with everyone and know that we all have our weaknesses. And it's not about showcasing the weaknesses. It's about showcasing the strengths. And allowing people to cope with the weaknesses or support one another's areas of deficiencies instead of exploiting them. And that can be a challenge because as a leader, it's you can see very quickly who has strengths in what areas and, and who might not. And it's easy to call people out. It is more challenging to support people in those areas because it's harder to support their growth in their area of weakness rather than just kind of say, yeah, well, you know, so-and-so is just not very good at being candid with parents or, you know, they just can't finesse that the language because they just tend to be kind of blunt. And, and it's easy to dismiss that and say, Oh, that's just so-and-so. You'll get used to him as opposed to saying, hey, let's work together to help you be a better communicator and, and soften your delivery a little bit so that the message that you're trying to be, de- deliver is going to be better received.
0: Mm-hmm. What is one initiative you've implemented on your campus or in your district that you're extremely proud of?
1: Wow, there's there's a lot. And, and I guess I, I wouldn't necessarily say that I'm proud of I mean I'm I'm proud of the people, not necessarily proud of of myself. And I think that is a shift. And I, I wish I I wish I could recall when I made that shift of being proud of us as opposed to being proud of myself. If I could really hone in on when that happened and how that happened. I could make you a much better podcast, (laughs) you know, because really being able to say that we are a team and I'm proud of the fact, you know, and maybe that's the the more concise answer, Joshua, is it's not about what I implemented or, or what strategy or program that we brought to Saranac. It's really more about the fact that we did it together and that we built that efficacy to say that if we built this together, then we could also build this something else together. And over time, we can realize that there's probably not a whole lot that we couldn't do together. And it all started with looking at building a great math program and, and then using the strengths that we had to transfer that to reading. And literally yesterday in our district, the principal at the elementary school who spends his time in the office that I, that used to be mine sent out an email to everyone to say that in Michigan, there's a third grade reading law that says that if students don't meet, meet a certain benchmark that they, they can't go on to fourth grade and that law kicks in next year. And so we've been monitoring it as very closely. It's a big deal. Mm -hmm. And last year, 40% of our third grade students would have been at risk of not passing on to fourth grade. And you want to talk about panic? That's a giant number. 40% of your third graders are not at the minimum proficiency. And that law kicks in with this year's second graders. So we just got our state assessment data back. And we, as a school... And with me phasing myself out, a lot of other leaders have been stepping up to support that concern and that fear. And the email that just came through from the principal said that zero students are at that threshold with this year's third graders. No one is at risk of not meeting that that minimum expectation and, and passing on. We still have a lot of growth to do as far as getting 100% students proficient to the level that meets our satisfaction, but holy cow, to go from 40% to zero in a single year, that's amazing. And that's not the work of any single person. That's everybody coming together. It's, and it's not even the work of just the third grade teachers It's everybody. It's a system. It's a mindset. It's a, it's a support. It's everything. And it's part of the reason that I want to continue to be a part of the school district and and keep a, keep a foot in there because all the magic's happening now. (laughs) And we worked a long time to get that into place and it's time to celebrate. And I want to be part of that celebration.
0: For those starting their leadership journey, what advice do you have for them?
1: Do more listening than speaking. <laughs> if you don't have to solve a problem immediately, put out the fires that are necessary in the moment, but allow yourself an opportunity to bring in other folks, get different perspectives, consider a variety of options, and weigh those pros and cons before really jumping into making a making a decision. And people that are aspiring to do that that, that's a... A strategy that you can do in your classroom or in your in your home with your own children as well not everything is urgent and it feels like it a lot in especially in the first year it's almost survival as you're trying to make sure that you keep everything afloat and that you're staying above water it's like let me get this off my desk let me solve this and 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 put a check mark next to this so that I don't have to keep revisiting it. And it feels good to take something off of your plate, but it feels really crummy when it comes back as a bigger monster. And so waiting a bit can help you to find a solution that is a better and a longer term solution than just a temporary fix. That is going to come back to you in a lot worse shape and just kind of knowing and giving yourself permission to not solve everything in an expert ways is, is okay and, and surround yourself with people that that will remind you of that it's it, you don't have to solve everything in the moment just give yourself a, some space to breathe.
0: And I know you have a new book that just came out. For those who haven't had the opportunity to read Hacking Questions, will you provide a quick synopsis of the book for our aspiring leaders?
1: Sure. A lot of literally the entire book is inspired by classroom teachers that I have observed. And it is a really, um, I intentionally wrote it with teachers in mind so that busy educators can look at challenges that we face with questioning and be able to look at some solutions that offer opportunities to grow in areas of questioning immediately. There's nothing in that book that requires uh, an implementation that takes a year or purchase of a new curriculum. Everything that is in there is something that can be done by a single teacher with no additional time and no additional money. Just the will to improve and the desire to try some different kinds of techniques and strategies with the best interests of kids in mind. So I focus on things like engagement. How do you increase the opportunity for students to take risks in the classroom how do you um, tackle scaffolding and spoon feeding if you feel like you're doing a lot of the cognitive work with students and and they're not doing a lot of the cognitive work and they're sitting around waiting for you to do that there there are strategies in there that are designed to focus in in that area as well so there are 11 hacks and the table of context addresses those, but, um, that that's really the synopsis is it's about the verb of questioning mm-hmm. less than it is about creating the perfect question as a noun.
0: So what inspired you to land on that subject matter specifically?
1: Well, as a principal, one of our areas of focus, gosh, eons ago, it seems like now was formative assessment and as we were pursuing, looking at implementation of quality formative assessment components, I noticed that there was a pattern in the way that teachers were delivering questions. So there's a difference between looking at prepositions in a preschool classroom of, does the cow sit on the fence or does the cow sit near the fence? And a student says, on the fence. And the teacher says hmm let's try that again does the cow sit on the fence or does the cow sit near the fence and then the student says near the fence and we praise the heck out of them Mm -hmm. and so that that was the moment that i was like maybe it isn't our formative assessment that we're that is the problem maybe it's questioning and so i just began to read and explore everything that I possibly could about questioning. And it really came from an organic desire to improve my own staff and provide them with as many resources in a strategy that they use every day. Teachers ask, no joke, 80 to 100 questions an hour. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have some sound strategies for how you're framing those questions, you're gonna have a lot of just questions going in a whole lot of directions and um, you're going to feel like you're chasing your tail and and teachers then go home tired and kids go home not tired (laughs) and that's backwards
0: so in addition to your admin position you speak at conferences you're an author you blog and you're very active on social media how did you find your voice beyond your district
1: it happened very organically i am in a small district in a small community and other curriculum directors we supported one another so one fellow curriculum director we often do our own pd in a small school in a small area and so we would access one another and trade pd you come in and train my teachers on what you're good at and i'll come in and and exchange and, and i'll offer a day of questioning and so I had that opportunity to really focus and, and improve my knowledge in that area. And word of mouth just allowed my phone to ring. Not literally, actually. It was my email inbox to ding. <laughs> uh, and people would start to say, hey, you know, I heard that you helped in this school district. Would you be willing to come and and chat with me and, and support my teachers as well? And I found that I really loved that. And so at a time when my school district was looking to make some cuts, we wanted to keep those cuts away from the classroom. And so I volunteered to reduce my contract and it turned out to be a win-win. It saved some money for the school district because I shortened my contract and it happened to free up some time for me to be able to continue to focus and and learn uh, in an area that benefited my school district.
0: So in closing, what is the most enjoyable aspect of leadership?
1: I think it is watching other people be successful. It's being a leader is a lot like um, to me is a lot like being a parent. And we feel success and get joy out of watching our children as parents. We watch our children achieve success. And we watched them struggle and then persevere through that. And that makes us feel like great parents. And I think that same thing is true as leaders. If you, is you not that, that, te- that the teachers are my kids in any sense, but I care about them in a, in a similar way. And I experience joy through their success. I want to see them successful. And when I can have a small part of seeing them be successful, I get a lot of joy and satisfaction out of that. That's an opportunity that um, that I have that I can share with, with teachers that teachers share with students. When their students are successful, they feel awesome and and so it's, it's cyclical. It's, it's really the same kind of thing. It's just a different lens. It's different people, but it's the joy of watching other people be successful and knowing that you had some small piece of it.
0: Connie, how can our listeners connect with you on social media?
1: Well, Twitter works, uh, at Connie Hamilton. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty responsive. If you have to wait more than 20, 24 hours to get a response from me, there's, there's something terribly wrong. If you have listeners that are not on Twitter and that's not a way, I have a website, which is ConnieHamilton.net. That works as well. There's an easy way to connect via email. So either way, that works fantastically.
0: Please continue to check out the Aspire podcast. And if you've gotten any value from the show at all, please subscribe and leave a rating and review wherever you're listening. Don't forget to use the Aspire lead hashtag as you continue the conversation on social media. Connie, thank you so much for being on the program. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Joshua. Before I kick off the show, I wanted to share some exciting news about my new website at joshstamper.com, which is officially launched. The site has the Aspire podcast, blog posts, and a whole host of resources for educational leaders. Make sure you sign up for the Aspire newsletter to stay up to date on the latest giveaways, announcements, ideas, and exclusive content by going to joshstamper.com and signing up. I hope you enjoy this week's interview with a fantastic educational leader.